Welcome to the AI Asia Pacific Institute podcast. The rise of AI presents important legal and ethical challenges for society. In this podcast, we invite leaders from different industries and creators of new AI to debate the big questions. This is the AI Asia Pacific Institute podcast. Today, I'm joined by David Hadou and Hadi Pawar to explore the impact of algorithmic decisions in the financial industry. In this conversation, we cover many practical recommendations on operationalizing ethics of AI. We discuss FEED, Singapore's framework for the financial industry, and arrive at some predictions on what's next for the industry. David is the Senior Advisor for Data and Artificial Intelligence at Union Bank Philippines, Chair of Data Committee at Aboit Group, and Acting Incapacity of Managing Director for Aboit Data Innovation. He's also an external advisor to Singapore's Corrupt Investigation Practices Bureau and to Singapore's Central Provident Fund Board. Prior to his current roles, David was monetary charge of Singapore's first appointed Chief Data Officer and Head of Data Analytics Group. As part of that, he led the development of the AI strategy for both MAS and Singapore's financial sector, as well as driving efforts in promoting open cross-border data flows. David pioneered the regulator and central bank adoption of data science, as well as establishment of the Fairness, Ethics, Accountability and Transparency FIT principles, first-of-a-kind guidelines for adopting AI in the financial industry, as well as establishing the MAS-backed Veritas Consortium. Hadeep has around 21 years of experience in analytics and data science technology in the financial services. He's based out of Singapore and is heading the AI research and engineering at a social media startup called Aqua, where he's building the AI infrastructure and engineering team. Hadeep was the head of AI for Element AI, where he worked on numerous client engagements, including MAS Veritas Phase 1. He also debriefed Tint at Accenture Singapore, where he set up an AI lab focusing on financial services use cases. He also spent more than a decade working in AI and analytics teams in banks including Standard Chartered, JP Morgan and Barclays. He has a graduate degree in computer science and MBA in finance, and he's also an advisor for a few startups in the region and a regular speaker at events in Singapore. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Great. So I think we... Um, we should probably start with the basics, right? So there's a lot of uh, different definitions in the industry. We hear responsible AI, trustworthy AI, ethics of AI. So what do you, what, what's ethics of AI for you, David? And how would you define? And, and I think, you know, to give people some, why is this important? Why now? Uh, so we're starting with the easy questions, huh? Um, yeah. What is the ethics of AI? Well, actually, I, I okay, since you're asking from my point of view, I actually start off by giving a slightly contrarian perspective. I don't think there is an ethics of AI. I think there is ethics that as part of the process of doing AI or not doing AI is absolutely important that we consciously pay attention to it. Now, I know, however, bizarre that statement may be, but look, as someone has been doing it for a while, just, just revealing my own age there, um, I, I could fairly confidently say that if you go back to 2000 to 1990, some plus, it's not that anyone didn't have uh, considerations of ethics, absolutely not, but it wasn't in the back of the mind. It wasn't the case of like, oh, well, you need to consciously think of potential harm that may come out of it. I think over, to a certain extent, maybe the last predominantly five years, but really picking off maybe slightly further from that, people realize that, oh, hold on a second. With this potentiality that can come from AI, this acceleration, this amplification, thereby also comes the potential amplification of harm, let alone new harm that 
may have not been there to a certain extent without AI ethics. So, so I want to start off with that because when we say the ethics of AI and AI ethics, it's, 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 I think that's an important element, at least from, from, from my point of view. But having said that, why it is important, it's exactly that particular point, is it, it may inadvertently result in situations whereby, well, I don't want to say unethical situations, let's hope at least not unethical situations, but situations that we need to be very consciously aware of culturally, um, um, demographically, and so forth, get accelerated, get amplified. And we don't have that leeway on, and, and, and the runway of the human slowness to go, oops, we don't mean for that to happen and fix it essentially and put the mitigation in place. You can literally have an oops of, oh no, oops, and it's far, far too downstream essentially. So, so that's why it's absolutely critical and also to give the sensation of what it is for me. Um, I, I probably will stop there because I don't take too much time on that element, but, but I think that's, that's how I'll anchor it. That's kind of how I would look at it with respect to the definitions and the criticality of ethics of AI. And is that, so is that the right term for the industry? Or would you suggest that we look at this from a different angle? Well, so, so let me give you an example. So I always used to get asked, actually, I still get asked of like, oh, what should we do predominantly in financial institutions? Like, should we uh, create uh, AI ethics or ethics of AI or algorithmic ethics committees? And I kind of always say, well, you should have, you really should have by default a conduct and culture committee. Um, you should have risk management committees, operational risk management. And it is kind of my view, and, and we could probably talk about this a bit later when it comes to some of the framework and principles. It's kind of my view that, in fact, I wouldn't have an AI ethics committee. I wouldn't have an algorithmic committee per se. I would embed that into the heart of the organization. So when you speak about conduct and culture, it is part of that. When you speak about risk management and risk governance, it's part of that. When you talk about marketing and reputational risk, it's part of that. And then you see it's no longer this outsider because also that may result in certain people saying, oh, no, no, don't, don't, don't do that AI stuff. We, we have to go through those other things and committees. Let, let's just, just keep on doing what we do. Where I believe the goal is making sure our conduct, our ethics, our governance, our approach is to the highest standards that we should hold ourselves accountable. AI is an enabler as that process. Yeah. Anything to add to that, Hadi? Yeah, so I think David, whatever David said, I totally agree with that. I think he's made a very clear distinction saying that yeah, ethics, <laughs> ethics have always been there and with AI, the acceleration that is caused uh, makes it even more important to have those uh, ethics um, discussions, like they become even more paramount. And now the idea of putting, um, like having a separate ethics committee or, or putting it as a part of uh, the existing committees within the bank, I think I, I do support the idea that it should be embedded, but I think what you need to do definitely is reinforce those committees with the right kind of skill set and right kind of, right diversity of people so that those conversations can be had, right? So the, maybe the current format of those committees might not be appropriate to support those discussions. And maybe you need to take conscious decisions to embed certain kind of thinking, certain kind of diversity of people into those committees. And then you can have this as a, as a baseline for the bank. Yeah, yeah. So, and if we jump into a more, a very pragmatic angle, I suppose, is, is that the issues we know, so that, you know, the way organizations, governments have been dealing with these challenges is by creating frameworks around the world that guide the developments in AI and its implementation, right? Uh, now, the challenges of in actually embracing those frameworks is, is where, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's stopping us from actually moving from theory to practice. So, so how, do we, how do we navigate that in your opinion, David? It's, um, it's a challenging one because I think we're only coming to grips, uh, thankfully we are, but we're only coming to grips with the guidelines and the principles that have been coming out across the globe. And in fact, the, one of the most recent ones, uh, being from China, which was a, a very pleasant surprise, um, let alone the ones which was to a certain degree expected from the EU. We're now all eagerly waiting for the ones that will come up from the US to a certain extent. 
Uh, so it's essentially it's kind of to grasp to well, okay, we're come we've come up excuse me with the principles we've come up with that guiding um, modus operandi of what we should be thinking on, focusing on, what we shouldn't be focusing on or doing to a certain degree. And as you said very rightfully, so how do we? Like, sure, we all hold hands and agree, but what do you do? How do you do it? And it's always been a tricky one. And I, I remember if I kind of bring you back to, was it 2018, when we came up with the feed principles of fairness, ethics, accountability, and transparency, I, I was kind of half cheekily deliberate when um, I didn't want to tackle the how do you operationalize it. I, I, I deliberately did so. And in fact, I remember a whole bunch of lawyers kind of being very angry with me saying like, no, but David, tell us what was we supposed to do? I said, no, no, we need to think about it. And in fact, it's, it's to the point that Hardeep was mentioning, ethics has always been there. And suddenly now when we're talking about, you know, making sure that no discrimination, uh, and again, that's another topic on its own, like what kind of discrimination are we talking about? Because there is good discrimination, believe it or not. When we're doing a loan, well, that's an equally important question independently of the application of AI. So it's kind of forcing everyone to go like, okay, we need to think about it. Now, that brings us to the operationalization and what we kind of seen and specifically in, I guess, in the Singapore um, industry where they've had the luxury of having these principles very early on, that realization like, ah, there isn't a one way of doing it. That these principles have to be contextualized and internalized to the organization, whether it is the embeddingment, as I was kind of alluding to earlier, into existing committees or creation of new ones. How do and in what manner do you uh, uh, put it into the process of development? Like for example, the whole debate and discussion of, of uh, algorithmic explainability and AI explainability. So now thinking about those principles, what does that actually mean in a, as a developer, as a, validator as, as someone who incorporates into a business process to, as I mentioned earlier, a risk management. And what you found, they're all called explainability. They're not the same thing. Mm. And the reality of it, it, it this takes time. We, we have to allow for the time to reach that degree of maturity in unpacking a fairly complex, uh, and, and not in a negative sense, but it is a fairly compressed thing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. just to add on to that, yeah, it is, as David rightly pointed out, it is definitely a really complex topic. It needs a lot of education. So within the organizations at different levels, you need to educate uh, different stakeholders about what does it mean and how do they tackle some of these issues. You need to bring new skill sets into the mix as well, as well as uh, a lot of these uh, newer kind of AI techniques or algorithms that are being used. Some of these transparency and other kind of principles are still an area of research in them, right? Like you don't have an absolute way of figuring out uh, like explainability on a neural network as compared to a logistic regression model, right? A logistic regression model is well understood. It's well documented. There is like 30, 40 years or maybe even more of study and, and understanding and a, a, unifer, a kind of a global acceptance around those things, right? And, and that's why you see a, a lot of regulations around banking is already covering all those things. Now, where it becomes complicated is when you introduce these kind of newer age of models, which are inherently more complex because they capture uh, better uh, patterns in the data. Then And they, they kind of then become less understandable than how do you uh, get to the same level of explainability or transparency, right? Do you even need to get there? That's the first question. And if so, then how do you get there? And these are some of the really tough questions which researchers are tackling today as well, right? If, if yeah. I can riff just briefly off of that, because I, 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 I think that's really, really great points that were mentioned there. And actually to give you two concrete, well, one quick example and an, an analogy. Um, if, if, if you think about it, yeah, as practitioners of this world of data science, machine learning, AI, we want to see the usage of it naturally with a hygiene of governance because in the end of the day, we are consumers as well. And what you find, look, human nature is the shortest path. If you suddenly have all these additional complexities that are not fully understood, not properly contextualized, you found people saying, oh, never mind, let's, let's, not, let's not just do AI, but not actually solving the problem. If you suddenly put that ethics hat on top where it's like, no, 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 we, we need to solve this. I mean, forget the AI, we, we need to solve that. AI is just a matter of 
also addressing it, but also providing that availability, expansion base, customer specificity, and so forth. So it's, it's kind of like this, this almost this like uh, unnatural split that needs to be done of, there needs to be AI and what it can bring, and there needs to be ethics. There needs to be discrimination. And, and actually, I was about to say, so the example of discrimination, which we debated to no end, that one term, discrimination, where we even realized that we can't use the term discrimination because it, it, it's an emotional response that is situ situated with, understandably. And if you look at that, again, if I go back to the principles, you look at the term that we actually ended up using is un uh, disadvantagement. So in other words, it's, I need to be able to, to discriminate. I need to be able to identify those who may get, those who may not get. However, now there's that overlapping umbrella of those who are getting could be a case and those who may not be getting, am I disadvantaging any one of those within the context of what is that I'm doing? And you're seeing it's, that is not a technology question. That's a societal, legal to a certain extent question. And it's very important to have that split. Very important point there. Yeah. Because I think that's, that lies a lot of confusion as well. It's not about, it's not about that you need to have hundred percent equality. We need to know the difference is there because, you know, when we look at the data set and be able to bring that balance and, and fix those issues when they come to light. In fact, just to even further emphasize that, Kelly, it's, 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 there was this paper, I just can't remember the name of the author, it popped in my mind, but it was one of the, these actually wonderful papers, where what they did is they're actually embedded into the algorithm as part of that optimization process, equity, essentially, as the output. And it was a very counterintuitive paper because what the authors actually ended up finding is that by putting that equity, degraded the ability of predicting. So it, it, it again, put aside the right to run, it showed that mathematically, you couldn't do that. Now, that's really important. Why is that really important? Is because you may still say, no, 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 for these particular scenarios, I want the equity. Then what we now know is don't use machine learning in that particular scenario. <laughs> if there are cases, well, you see that, I mean, it, it, sometimes we have this over obsession with using, you know, uh, shiny little trinkets. Sometimes it's a case of like, we need to focus on what is that we want and use the most appropriate technique, including when the most appropriate technique is in machine learning. However, in those situations where it is appropriate, we understand that uh, constraints and environment which, which can be operated in. Yeah, and just yeah. to add to David's point here again, saying that, so when you say discrimination and fairness, it comes at a cost and there, there are always these trade-offs to be made, right? Like, and there is nothing called as perfect fairness or like if, if you are being fair to one parameter, say race, Maybe you are inevitably gonna, your model is inevitably gonna be unfair on say education. So you, you can't achieve a perfect balance and it's always about the fine trade-offs and each trade-off comes with a business cost. And as a business stakeholder, you need to sit down and decide at org level, like what kind of trade-offs are you ready to make and how much are you ready to invest in making those trade-offs because they do come at a cost. Yeah. Okay, so if we bring in this conversation to the financial sector, which is going to be where we're going to be focusing on now, and I know, uh, and we're going to go through more in details on the feet, uh, which you both have been involved in developing. And for those who do, know, do not know, FIT is the principles framework that the Singaporean government have put forward um, in addressing the financial sector there. So... In the financial sector, do we need a different approach, David? Ooh. When you say a different approach, in what sense? A different approach of other sectors or just different approach, period? Yeah, compare it. Well, we know industries are operating very differently. And, you know, some are also ahead of the curve with AI and some are not. Yeah. So when we think about monetary authorities around the world and how they responding to the challenges that are arising in the financial sector, what should they be doing differently? So, okay, no, I, I'm, thank you for the clarification because I was, I was about to say, actually, I think the industries, other industries out there should be doing it as the financial industry is doing right. it. Um, in fact, rather than the other way around, because you have an inherent fiduciary responsibility to cons consumers. I mean, that's what I mean. I, I believe that any kind of company should have a fiduciary responsibility, but within the financial sector, it's mandatory. 
man- mandatory. It, it, it's governed, it's regulated. So you, you have to atone to a higher authority with respect to spec. Now that naturally derives, drives, excuse me, um, a very certain and specific approach towards everything we just discussed, because you, you need to be able to show, to show, to demonstrate that you're doing the right thing, A, and B, you're not resulting any, in any systemic impact that, that's a, a negative in, in one form or another. And again, AI, due to that certain uniqueness, actually can potentially result in both elements. So the one, we need to make sure that because we're dealing with customers' data, so there's a whole dimension of privacy and consent that comes kicks in as well. These are properly thought through. These are properly um, considered, and these government governance considerations come in. And then in terms of the systemic implications, for example, if you now suddenly take as simple as a robo-advisor embedded with AI, your now ability of providing a service obviously ex- ex- expands exp- potentially exponentially. So if something goes wrong, while the quantum may be smaller, the number of potential uh, uh, individuals that get impacted could be higher. So that's, again, something that needs to be think of. And, 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 and it's driven by the environment of financial sector, which ironically is sometimes why not entirely as uh, uh, keen, perhaps, I should say, to adopt these new things because we want to really make sure that no harm is intended. But this is exactly why I believe the other industries from be it search or other tech or so forth should be looking at how the financial industry, even though they're not currently regulatory mandated yet to do so because it's that demonstration of yeah, no, this, this is serious stuff. And there is a certain degree of materiality that even if it was an unintended consequence, and we've seen, I think, enough cases of unintended cons- consequences, which had a fairly material impact. So, so putting those governance uh, elements in place, I, I think will be absolutely critical. So, so that's how I would approach it, essentially, effectively, in reverse. Yeah, and just just to add on to this perspective, I think another unique thing about financial services is that like financial services is all about risk management, right? Like, and and most of these uh, use cases that we have to evaluate, we need to also put the the onus of AI governance with, with the risk lens in in it as well, right? So, depending on the use case and depending on the materiality and the impact of that use case, the rigor of that. Uh, assessment needs to be uh, more, right? So if you are dealing with credit scoring, which or lending, which can have a material impact on people's life, then the amount of rigor you need to put in more as compared to a system where you are just gonna send, say, uh, targeting campaigns to different kind of or different subsets of users, right? Although there would be still harms and benefit in that, but then the amount of rigor that you need to apply maybe is less as compared to the amount of rigor that you have to apply in more high-end use cases. And, and banks specifically uh, are very good at risk management. So I think it's a natural place to embed these kind of assessment layers in, in that risk management framework as well and make sure it's combined there. Yeah, I'll probably say as well, I think that when we look overall, Singapore is probably also ahead of the curve, with, especially with the free framework in comparison to other places are still doing, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was just clarifying with me. Uh, well, yes, but uh, it, because of the, of the runway and, and essentially it actually the whole history of feed is, is again, a bit different because it never started off with the intention of coming up with principles and governance. Ironically enough, uh, the intention was how to promote AI in the financial sector. And, 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 and the reason I say that, that's a bit, and actually, by the way, this is one of, why, one of the reasons why I'm a, such a big believer of innovation and governance going hand in hand. And in fact, good governance breeding innovation is because when we had a series of heart-to-heart conversations with CDOs, CAOs, and et cetera, in the industry, we realized very quickly, at, and to Hardeep's point, that as part of that culture of risk management, one of the reasons that inhibited the adoption of AI was because there were no frameworks, there were no guiding principles, there was literally, there was nothing out there to help in that process of risk management. And therefore, we kind of realized that in order to promote AI in the financial sector, we need a set of guiding principles to help manage risk in the financial sector of the use of AI. And, and you see, it's, 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 it's really flip side. 
But it did exactly that because suddenly now you had the case of folks saying, okay, this is, may not be a document of regulation that we have to follow. This is a set of documents at the lack of anything else that is, could be called a best practice that we can go by saying, oh, look, this is why we've done it. This is how it aligns with these principles. And this is why we think it's a good thing. And, and that's the kind of conversation and the controls that are necessary as part of those dialogues with uh, um, regulators. Now, that's 2018, so effectively three years ago. With that maturity, and again, I guess maybe the, the nature of agile and continuous evolution, I actually don't think feet is necessary anymore. Um, okay, let me rephrase that sentence. I don't think the 14 principles that are there or 15 principles that are there are necessary anymore with the exception of maybe two or three of them, which effectively really zoom in to transparency, which is what I was kind of alluding to earlier about um, uh, unfair, or excuse me, unjustified disadvantagement. Because in the end of the day, everything falls from that, whether we're talking about um, um, culture, where we're talking about privacy, where we're talking about consent, where we're talking about application, everything, and again, this is my personal point of view, stems from that fact that if you can justify the process of treatment, again, many may disagree with you, the regulator may disagree, the, the customers will disagree, the legal bodies may disagree, but as long as you have a framework and a process that is able to ascertain that, that will drive those building blocks that are necessary. Part of the reasons we, we, and I use that collective term of maybe data practitioners, ended up in a bit of hot water of these unfortunate incidences with AI is because we didn't think about that. We didn't think like, oh, I need to justify why I'm looking at these attributes. I need to justify why I'm doing this thing. I need to justify, you know, we just went, oh, this is really cool. Throw data in, build a model, bang, we can do prediction and, and do stuff. And we didn't go like, oh, wait, 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 wait. Actually, this could happen. So are we okay with that? How do we manage, you know, and so forth and so forth and so forth, essentially. Yeah. Okay. Very good. So if we are to break that down, so you're naming that transparency. So we're taking away, right now we have, so FIT is, is composed of fairness, ethics, accountability, and transparency. So yes. say we forget about everything else and we focus on transparency. Let's well, think actually, about actually, this example. Actually, ethics. fairness. It's, it's yeah. the fairness one that we need to focus on. Oh, right. I, I say everything else. Yeah. Again, having now looked at it over the years is a derivative of fairness. And fairness is specifically defined as, as um, uh, just oh, unjustified disadvantagement. So right. in other words, yeah, you see, I'm, I'm since you're the lawyer there, I'm very careful with my words there because we may have disadvantagement and we may have discrimination. But as long as it's unjustified disadvantagement, that's to me the definition of unfair. And, and I was I was laughing, I was on you, I was laughing cheek to cheek when Haridip was talking about unfair world. I've got five kids. Uh, a very fast way of quelling a conversation is one of wow. my kids says like, oh, it's unfair. And I just look at them and go like, do you want me to make it fair? It usually takes about you know, a minute <laughs> or two and they go like, no, 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 we're, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. So, so okay, so let's, let's apply that to you know, and, and there's been a lot of these incidents lately, right? So say husband and wife apply for a loan with a bank and, you know, the, the husband is um, entitled to a higher loan, you know, and we know that there's, again, there's discrimination and then there's consequences of that, right? And how AI is now, you know, checking the history and all the data that we've lived with our whole lives with and now we're applying that to you know amplifying in a way right so okay so let's think about that incident for a second so how would we break that down if we were to address this through fairness oh uh, okay so let me be devil's advocate i'll let i heard you be the, uh, <laughs> the savior here um so i actually come point of view and saying look i only know what you give me I am unable to speculate it. I'm in it. So if you truly have a situation when you have husband and wife, both are applying with the information that they provide. And let's say you have a situation where either the man or the woman get a lower amount of a loan or the credit rating and so forth. Going back to that point of justified, if both individuals provide effectively identical information and the outcome is different, that is unjustified and needs to be addressed. If, however, you're able to say, look, the fact that you come of 
again, let me be devil's advocate. Different gender or identified as a different gender. The fact that you're married, we don't know that. And it's completely irrelevant because your financial history as individuals is different. And therefore, the loan amount based on the fact of your financial history is deduced as following. However, if you would have provided information that you're married, and therefore we can do the calculation with respect to the combined financial and historical information and credit, therefore, you see, so, so it becomes a very, uh, how should I say, mathematical cold. Now, of course, it, it's difficult because we're very emotional creatures, but that's really important. And that's why I said that to me, fairness is the critical one, because if I think that way, it's then suddenly critical for me to go away. Hey, hey, I need to make sure that Kelly's aware or Hardeep is aware, whoever's applying that, look, the information that you provide me is de de uh, deterministic with respect to the potential apple. Therefore, if there's additional information that may be necessary, please do provide, or there's a process of appeal. Like, I'll give you an example. Take me as David. And I've, you, let's say you're using social media data. Let's be even more specific, Facebook data in calculating whether I'm worthy of a loan or not. Look, my Facebook data is when I was like in my early 20s. You're not going to give me a loan, although I would like you to give me one. You're not going to give me a loan. But if I know that as an individual, as a customer, I can go, oh, hold on a second. Uh, I don't think your calculation is correct because on the type of data that you're using isn't representative of me now. Allow me to correct that and provide you the updated information. So we need, we need that process of I don't yeah. use the word appeal because appeal sounds so, so dramatic, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And that, so what you just described that the fact that you can know, which is what we have not seen in the AI industry yet, not just in financial sector, but everywhere. The fact that they are systems making decisions about people and people don't even know that that's the case. And also how they question that. So, so that process, isn't that called transparency? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and it starts from, well, remember what I said? The goal in us wanting to be fair. Right. If I can't be fair, if I'm, okay, let, let, let's call a spade a spade. If I don't want to be fair, I'm not going to be transparent. If I want to be fair, I have to be transparent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, Deep, any thoughts on that? No, I think the, the points that David has discussed, I think they make perfect sense. Yeah, like, it, like, Inherently, the process of giving loan has to discriminate, and but it has to discriminate based on your ability to repay that loan or your financial standing. As long as there is no other factor which is going to influence the outcome apart from the legible factor that is for that, like without AI, even you were going to discriminate based on that because that's what uh, is is a mark of like good loan. If if with introducing AI, you are going to use any other derived output like either race, gender, religion, or maybe your social media data for that matter as well, which might not be complete representativeness or which might not completely represent you and your financial standing, then as a user, number one, you have a right to know. So this is not just transparency, it's also accountability, external accountability towards the customer that the bank needs to be uh, giving them accountability and a recourse mechanism, which essentially means that if there is certain decisions, I need a way to appeal or or understand what has happened in my case. And then based on that, I should be able to improve my score, right? And again, having said that, it's not as easy as, as it sounds because sometimes the information on how you are discriminating also, like in case of an AML use case, an anti-money laundering use case, you don't want to give that information out because then that would allow gaming of the system. The bad actors would understand how a bank figures out a, a particular transaction to be uh, a money laundering transaction. They would find new ways of deceiving that, right? So again, depending on the use case and depending on the uh, context, the amount of transparency that you can give is also uh, bound, right? You, you can't be like really transparent in every case as well. And again, it's a very case-by-case -case approach we have to take. Yeah. I, 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 sorry, I could jump in on that one. And and because because I can almost see some people will be thinking about like, oh, no, no, but but you may have um, historical prejudice, which is true. Let us not be naive to the world. And therefore, if what I said and what Hardeep was saying is true, but now you have a situation and the data may be unfairly representative. 
But you see, this is exactly the point that I was kind of alluding. I think both we were alluding to earlier that it's really critical to split and identify what is that we're trying to solve. We cannot go back in time and fix however much we all would love to. We can't. What we then are able to do is identify the applicability. So if we know there are certain areas whereby there is a, again, let's call a spade a spade, biasness in the data historically, that again goes to my point of saying that you need to just simply have a thing. Is it applicable for AI? AI isn't going to solve cultural issues. It's for us to solve cultural issues. And I give you, I, I, well, I don't know if this is beautiful is the right word, but I always used to get this example when you know, be in forums um, that, the, again, historically, if you look at history of mortgages, especially in Europe and whatnot, it'll be middle-aged white men. Therefore, you will have systemically data that is leaning towards middle-aged white men who will have, let's say, received successfully loans and so forth. Then I would say, well, again, think about this systematically. If you go away and build a model using this data, you can use it for middle-aged white men because you know that that's representative of the demographics. But do you want to use it for people outside of that demographics? Maybe not. And no one said that there has to be, you know, this is not Lord of the Rings. One ring shall rule them all. We can have a multiplicity of models. We can have things which as simple as a rule because there's a certain objective we're trying to be. So that's what I'm getting at. It's we're, we're, it, not everything's a nail and not everything's a hammer. It's identifying what we're trying to solve, looking at the materiality, the impact to us, and accordingly address and solve it incrementally effectively. But to your yeah. point earlier, it comes from fairness. Yeah, very good. So we've, we've touched on, I think, a few of the real impacts of, of these principles, but I'm interested to know what has been, so we had about three years now since FATE, Veritas, how it's called in Singapore. And what, is, what has been the impact in the industry, if, if at all, in these in this, um, you know, different sectors? What have we seen differently? And David, you can go first. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was kind of looking at her. Do you, you want to jump into that one? Um, so, so, so maybe let's start off, what's the difference between the two? So like I said, FEET was deliberately designed with the obscurity of operationalization because we said, that's not the point here. And don't get lost, you know, miss the, was it, miss the forest from the trees type of scenario. Let's understand the perimeter that we're trying to operate in. Having managed to effectively do that and kind of um, um, harmonize internally, okay, what this could potentially mean and they mean different things for different people and they're all right. Now it's the question of, okay, how do we systematically operationalize it? These checks, can it be systematically operationalized? Such as the scenario of, can you test for unfair, uh, or for disadvantagement? Not discrimination, disadvantagement. What's the codification of disadvantagement? Can you test for transparency? Again, it's, it's a question mark. And the intention behind Veritas, which if you kind of look at, was it uh, Roman or Greek? It stands for truth. It's exactly that. It's the, the, the initiative of looking across different financial institutions saying, is there a unified approach based on the principles, um, based on the different applications, credits, uh, fraud, and so forth, that we can codify. Codify it so at the very least, if something goes wrong, uh, the, the example that he gave earlier between husband and wife, that as, as someone who's providing credit, I can have an alert, of, ah, you know, oh, something here doesn't look quite right. Human, please get involved. Not that the human may do any better, but at least we have a bit more trust in the human element, essentially. So, so that was the goal. And again, it's a journey. But if I look at the industry, the level of conversation, the rate of adoption, I would say is, you know, significantly a lot more than it was three, four years ago, essentially. And again, of course, it's not just because of this, but again, because of this necessity, and I'll just quote Hardeep again, of risk management that is so ingrained within the culture of finance, all of these things are prov providing um, scaffolding to the professionals of risk management, CROs, governance, et cetera, and so forth, to be able to say, yeah, no, we're, 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 we're kind of have these, this aligned, we kind of know where we're going. We're able to pull back if this doesn't seem quite right. We can do quantifiable experiments. So it's all helping us move that incremental steps ahead. I, I definitely don't think it's the end of it, uh, but 
I, I think we're, we're getting there. We're, we're getting there slowly. Yeah, yeah. So, Hajib, to David's point there, I'm going to ask a, a difficult question now. And it's a little outside of so the financial sector, but if we think about, for example, what happened in Australia with the, oh, what's the called? RoboDebt, right? Um, that, that, you know, we had the system running for years. Um, you know, David was using the example now where, you know, we, there's a red light and we can call a human and you can jump and explain how the system made that decision or how it's doing what it's doing, right? Um, I could be wrong, but the, the gap that I see here is that when you, you when you put a system like that running and making decisions, and that can be in a financial sector, it can be in the legal sector, um, you know, advising a judge to to give a sentence, or or how the Australian government did in the social services, right? When you put a system like that, um, it's it's. It, it's almost as people are not prepared to go against that system, right? And, and, and question whether it's functioning accordingly. So how do we, how do we close that gap? You know, how, how could we have avoided scenarios such as the robo-debt or things going wrong in the financial sector as well? Yeah, so it's a great question, uh, Kelly. I think research has shown that um, Human beings do develop blind trust on algorithms and they do delegate a lot of decision-making to algorithms. Uh, I do feel education is required uh, in this case, uh, essentially uh, making sure that the people who are using AI are aware of the shortcomings of the algorithms so that they start making better informed decisions. And in the end, the accountability of these decisions has to still stay with the human who is putting this algorithm in use, right? So as David pointed previously, AI or not AI, that accountability has to still remain with the people who were running that business, right? And the with AI, even that accountability should remain there. Now, how do you enable that accountability? Definitely, you need to have a more understanding of how these algorithms work. So essentially, this goes. Uh, this ties back to the principle of transparency. Now, the challenge that we have discussed earlier is some of these advanced algorithms do have uh, uh, not complete transparency. Like this, some of this is still uh, active area of research. Then, what this means essentially is that for really high risk use cases where there is a big material impact, you would still or you might still be curtailed to some of the algorithms which are a little more explainable, and you can't go on the deep end of deep learning essentially meaning the algorithms which are really not understandable. And then uh, you should also have some sort of ability to audit these algorithms uh, on a post hoc basis for explanation, right? So say a user says that he's been treated unfairly and then you should be able to get that uh, what we call as local explanations or a point-based explanation in, in terms of understanding what happened with that particular user and what kind of intuitions did the algorithm use to... Uh, uh, take the decision in that case. Now, this definitely the creators of the algorithms, be it in-house or third party, do have a responsibility to give people running these algorithms some form of tools which can give this high level of explanation. Number one, a, a high level intuition on how this algorithm works and also these tools to understand or, or to uh, probe the algorithm in a post-op basis, right? And in cases where you have more automation and, and you can't have a human in the loop always. I think what you need to do is also put some kind of post-hoc analysis periodically to validate how the algorithm is doing. And then uh, a step ahead of that is you should definitely monitor for algorithm, uh, algorithm and data drift in production. And uh, there should be a fallback mechanism uh, to a human in the loop in case you feel that the results of the algorithm are deteriorating because of the shifting patterns of data, right? And by the, like, in, in the time being, when you are going to retrain your algorithm, you should definitely have a fallback mechanism where you can actually get uh, humans involved. I think these are some of the areas which I feel uh, would help in overcoming this uh, issues. I don't know, uh, David, do you have anything to add here? Actually, I very, have very little to add to, to what you said. I mean, fully agree on it. Perhaps uh, I... Um, just a quote uh, from a sketch of a little Britain, if I go back to when they used still, 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 still aired, is we just want to collectively avoid the situation of when, you know, the person just says to you, oh, the computer says no. 
And you're kind of stuck in that limbo of but, but, but why, you know, what's going on? It's like, oh, no, the computer says no. And again, to give perhaps less of an unfortunately less of a parody analogy, I mean, there was a situation, again, I could never remember the exact details, where a person got fired. And literally no one could understand why. It, in the end of the day, it was discovered as a computer glitch. But the person was basically fired by an algorithm. And everyone simply said, oh, but but it's in the system. And, and you know, you're fired. So you, you can't have access anymore. And, and it just resulted in this very bizarre situation where no matter where he went to, he says, okay, sure, I'm fired. But, but, but why? Like, who? When? And everyone says like, Oh, we, we, we don't know. So yeah, that's that's the view. We, we we have to avoid the computer says no situation. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe that. I mean, we've seen examples like that, I think, across many different industries, right? And it's something we have. So when Hajif was mentioning that, you know, keeping a human in the loop, and I think that ties up to that, you know, human centricity principle, uh, but also what human are we put, are we keeping in the loop, right? Because we definitely need someone yep, that yep. understands how the machine works to be able to make that assessment. Yep. And, and to be so just a little bit of a geek for a second, I, it's, it's again a reminder that this whole construct of fairness isn't mathematical. It's uh, contextual, it's subjective, if you think about it, in any situation when you have and I have not, you receive and I do not receive, I will always perceive that as unfair. Now, a computer, a machine, an algorithm, and a, 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 a programmatically approach will, at least for now, maybe in the future, I don't know, we can program emotions, cannot go well, okay, yes, we, we know one plus one equals two, but given the situation, for you, it's going to be three. We, we, we can't do that. We, we, we need that human to be the irrational, illogical, you know, ironically, to be yeah. able to superimpose um, our perception. Yeah, yeah. So, David, you've addressed some of the gaps here that we have when it comes to fate, um, and you gave some ideas about how we should approach this now three years later. So to summarize that, and I think add anything, anything else that comes to mind that where, where do we go from here now? Where do we go from here now? Okay, so, so let me maybe start off with, with a half cheeky call out. Please, no more feats. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, no, there, no more frameworks in general. You no know, more frameworks, please. There seems to be this, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. The, the heart is in the right place. But we have enough. There's this wonderful website, and you know many researchers have done a study which just shows this this matrix of all the frameworks and principles that companies have produced, governments have produced, agencies. We're good because, in fact, the funny thing is, if you kind of look at the content, look at the principles associated within it, they all map to one another. So, is it perfect? Could we do one better? Of course. But we're good. Now let's 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 shift gears and focus on how do we operationalize it? How do we implement it? And, and in that process, and I think something you were mentioning earlier, also identifying where we can't operationalize. I think that is equally important. And and in fact, I'm, I'm, I mean, maybe half calling out to my my regulatory colleagues uh, back in my previous life is it's it's actually time. It's 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 time that feet or such principles become regulation. It's, we've grown up, we've prepared the ground, we've understand the necessity, we all agree on the importance. It's time that it's part of the requirements. And, and if I just may say, because the approach towards doing that, I, I, I slightly, let's say, well, I won't say disagree, but don't, again, I don't wanna call out specifically for AI. I don't have like a rule for AI, because again, basic human nature, I will gamify it. I will find a way around by simply just not calling it AI. It's like, oh, no, no, it's a rule. It's a rule that was derived from AI, but it's now it's a rule, it's not AI. So therefore that, that, that regulation doesn't apply. It really is addressing things at the heart of it. So it's essentially seeing that, oh, this class of AIs, this class of applications is part and parcel of, well, what we're doing. Uh, 
uh, uh, model validation in credit, uh, credit line or, or credit risk scoring, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, rather than just saying, no, no, oh, let's say, oh, specifically all AI algorithms must be explainable at the core. Like a recent one that came out of um, EU as well, I think it was specifically Holland, Denmark, um, uh, for online. I wouldn't do that. I would say, you know, period, everything should have ability of explaining it. Whether it's a rule that came out from a human's head, which sometimes is the biggest black box of them all, or a um, linear algorithm or a nonlinear one, for example, the the predicate is we need to understand what it is that we do. We need to understand um, why is it that we're doing it? And going back to that aspect of uh, justifiability. So, so yes, no more principles. It's time, you know, rubber, rubber hit the road kind of situation. Yeah. But before we get to that stage of operationalizing and get to the regulation stage, do you think that we need a more consistent approach across different governments, different countries here? I, I, I intuitively, I would like to say yes, but I, again, remember what we were discussing at the very beginning. I think it needs to be pragmatic and contextual. The only way for it to be consistent if the different governments, different cultures are consistent. I think in the current reality, in fact, <laughs> we celebrate diversity. So it's a bit of a, uh, you know, uh, well, catch-22 to a certain degree. For one hand, we want to celebrate diversity, but on the hand, we're, we're driving that consistency. So maybe in the future where we identify where consistency is required. However, I think now it's more about contextualization to one's own demographic cultures and maturity or readiness, perhaps. That's a more appropriate word, effectively. Yeah, very good. And I would, I would just like to add on, on David's point. I, I definitely feel most of the regulators have, like on a ballpark level, got the principles there, right? Like everybody's kind of talking the same thing. They are kind of like mincing the words one way or the another, but then the basic idea is still there. So I think, as David said, it's time for implementation. And the only point I want to add on to this is like, let's make it use case specific rather than AI specific, right? We are talking about lending, then anybody who does lending, whether it's a fintech, whether it's a bank or anybody should follow that practices of good lending, right? And that should apply to AI and non-AI systems both, right? So I think we're reaching the end here. But to close this conversation, Hadith, I think you could uh, brief us on your thoughts on, I guess, what the future holds in respect of all this conversation around the financial Services here. What what can we take away from this conversation? Oh, I'm, I'm going to yield the fall to Hardeep to go first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think um, there is a lot of promise from AI in the future. Like every technology now, AI is at a stage where whatever has been researched already has big potential. Like let's not discuss about AGI and all that. I think that's still a Far away, but whatever we have discovered still has uh, uh, like there is still a lot of potentials that that can be put to use uh, with, with the current researching of the technology. So I don't know whether you guys read. So there is this recent book from Kai Fu Lee at 2041, and I was reading that book, and I, I quote from there the first chapter, which is talking about uh, a view of the future where there is this uh, AI system in insurance, which kind of gathers or, or allows the users to trade off their data in order to get better premiums. Now, it, it does highlight uh, all the uh, downsides as where the AI, in order to uh, reduce the premium, also becomes uh, or also tries to intrude in some of the personal issues, like in this case, or the love life of an uh, individual, because it feels that maybe if you get connected to that other individual, you might... Uh, have higher risk in the future and hence it tries to prevent it. But then what I found fascinating was this entire idea about that people are more educated about their data. And at the end of the day, what we want to give humans is the autonomy to take decisions, right? Like at the end of the day, a human should be in control saying that where is the right point? I want to trade this data for what benefit, right? And AI can request or, or systems can request for that access. And if a human feels it's worth that access, then he can trade off that data, otherwise not, right? So, and, and 
even with this kind of a environment where given straight of their data and in this story the, the there were several good parts as well so for example in this story the another good part was that essentially the father of the girl um, uh, stops smoking because the ai nudges him and says that your premium is going to go high because you are smoking way too much now we can bring this question back again like in a way it's good because for insurance companies you want to reduce the premiums here and and uh in the process you are letting or you are nudging people to lead a healthier lifestyle but at the at the end of the day the still the decision making power of what needs to be done should remain with that human and we should not lose human autonomy with this ai this is what i uh, feel yeah david future well let, let me let me paint you a picture and then which i i truly believe will happen and let me then also paint a hope which I, i i hope will happen concurrently with it so if you let's just look at the financial sector and look how finance has transformed over the decades if not centuries previously it was an extremely personal affair i would go to hardeep because i know hardeep or someone in my family know hardeep and because hardeep would have money and i would say look i need to be able to lend to buy another cow and i will pay you back with a certain interest it was a very very personal affair but it was for a purpose and now people say to me well why why do you need that money for how can i help you and so forth and understandably over time it became very institutional one would even argue cold um and i always like to joke by saying i don't believe that anyone wakes up in the morning and says oh i'd like a loan or there's a you know there's a there's a slot in my wallet that's missing a credit card It, it, it's not that. It's still about us. It's still about our desires, our intents, our goals, our objectives, our aspirations. You may want a loan because you're planning to get married, having a kid, planning for the future, building a business. You want to better manage your care. You see, there's there's an intent behind it, and I, I feel that again. And I say this as a consumer, we've lost that a bit. Now, the future of AI, ironically. and i say this with a giant smile on my face i see that as an opportunity to take us back to the past so the future has the opportunity to take us stuff past the back past where now at the scale at the rate at the extensive at the, at the at the volume in which we're dealing with we're still able to have that specificity we're still able to have that i know you and i understand you and i i'm here to enable what is that you're trying to achieve effectively taylor So that's to me the future behind. I gave you that story within finance, but I believe it'll be transcended across everything. Power, engagement, look at the conversations of the multiverse. It's it's really about that. Is how do you build a world around yourself? Now, of course there's certain challenges and risks that come with that, you know, being a bit isolated, but that's a story maybe story for another podcast. Now, my hope my hope and, and actually I want to build on something that Hardeep said is it needs to be done with utmost prudence fiduciary responsibility and openness i've i'm pretty vocal about my view about some organizations out there in the world in terms of how they're dealing with privacy and consent and how they're leveraging data and i i i i hold that very dear it's and it's not because i think that oh this is some big conspiracy and these are big bad companies and no the reason i hold that is because I still believe that even if they went public and said oh, this is what we do 80 90% of all people will be like okay cool thank you life will continue but it's that maturity it's that integrity of saying Kelly Hardy this is how I'm using your data and giving you that power of saying okay we're cool with that or no we're not cool with that and we choose not to ser- receive that service or we choose not to receive that underlying benefit i really hope we get to that stage we're not there there now we're still at that stage of opaqueness of like i'm not going to really tell you what's happening in the background until you're kind of hooked and you can never leave away we need to change so it's that combination of those two the centralization on us the care that can be provided see so i'm not even using the word inclusion because it's not like it's it's sustainability it's 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 resilience and 
just honesty, fairness. So that's yeah. that's my hope for the future, my my vision and my hope. Yeah, I, I, I really don't like this uh, this view of like big brother approach, right? Like today we say that don't worry with this narrow stream of data that I collect on you. I'll figure you out. Like I have figured you out. I know what's best for you. I think that mindset also needs to change. It is like giving the respect back to human and letting the human decide. Like you can give him options and let him choose and agency should be with that human. Yeah. It, it, so it's people taking ownership of their data. It, it actually, the, the topic we we're discussing, you know, several, I think, quite a bit while back, we were talking about some of the things that went wrong. I think the example that you gave, Kelly, about you know the husband and wife and so forth, it's everything we just said together with that. Again, I don't want to use the, the legal term appeal. <laughs> again, it sounds very draconian, but openness because I may come to you and say, look, this is what I think you need based on what I'm seeing, but I can't dictate that and say, no, no this is what you shall have. This is what I think you need. This is why I think is what you need. And for you to have that opportunity saying, no, I, I, this is why I disagree. Or here's the, the, here's the context why it should be different. It's a dialogue. The machines, the computers, the algorithms are enablers. They're, they're to support us. They're not meant to replace us. We should still be having a dialogue. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Well, uh, this has been a fantastic conversation. I'm sure it's going to contribute to this ongoing work that we're doing in, in this area. Uh, thank you both very much for taking the time today. And oh, thanks pleasure. everyone for listening. Thanks yes, everyone thank for listening. And uh, our next conversation is going to be focusing on power sustainability, which was one of the things that David just mentioned here before. And it's something we're diving into that as well. 